You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Well, this is the end of our series, God, for the rest of us. And, um, you know, over the past 1,500 years, there's been this tale that's told of a rabbit who boasted of his speed. And this rabbit bragged so much, this turtle got tired of hearing it. The turtle eventually challenged the rabbit to a race. The rabbit accepted. They lined up at the finish line. And 99 times out of 100, the way the story ends is the rabbit wins. Because we all know that the race goes to the swift, right? But not in this story. See, in this story, the rabbit and the turtle line up at the finish line. The rabbit takes off, and he, and he gets this great lead that he decides in his arrogance and cockiness to rest. And while he's resting, he falls asleep, and the turtle slowly plods along past the rabbit, and he crosses the finish line first, because we all know that slow and steady wins the race. But that is not how the story is supposed to go. That is not how the world works. We all know that the swift went out over the slow. The way that the world works, the way that the world thinks is this, that the strong conquer the weak, that the rich rule over the poor, that the smart overcome against the dumb, that good people have a greater standing with God than bad people. I mean, that's how the world works. But I love it that that's not how God works because God operates in the opposite. See, I don't think, you're not following me or you haven't experienced how God operates in the opposite. See, God operates in the opposite. He doesn't operate that way. And I've, and I've met a lot of non-Christians and, and even some Christians who, if, if you were to ask them, hey, what does God think about people? How does God view people? Who does God love? Who does God not love? Uh, who goes to heaven and who doesn't go to heaven? And, well, what do you have to do to get to heaven? I met a lot of non-Christians and even a lot of Christians who would give me a response like the world would. They, they, they view things a lot like the world does. They would say, well, God loves good people, but he doesn't love bad people. God loves Christians and church people, but he doesn't love those Muslims and atheists and Buddhists. God loves uh, heterosexuals, but not those homosexuals or, or transsexuals or bisexuals or insert a prefix sexuals. God loves people who listen to Christian music and who read their Bible and who use Christian language, but he doesn't love those people who uh, listen to secular music and read Fifty Shades Freed and cuss. God loves America and he loves Americans, but he's not a fan of those people in Afghanistan or Pakistan. And when it comes to going to heaven, well, all you got to do is just do more good than you do bad. And if you do more good than you do bad, then God will see that and he'll try and help you out. And that's how you get to heaven. Like, I hope you don't believe that. But I've met a lot of non-Christians and even Christians who do believe that, who, who really believe that God loves the good people and not the rest of us. And, and, and I wonder if for some of you, you might not believe that, but you live that. Like there's something deep down inside of you in your subconscious where, yeah, yeah, sure, God loves everybody. And that, and, that, and, that, and that poem that we said earlier, that was really nice and I like that and that's cool. But deep down inside, I wonder if you really live like, but I still got to do more good than I do bad to get God's love. I mean, I still have to, to do something for God to love me. I mean, I still have to go to church for God to love me. I still have to read my Bible for God to love I, I wonder if deep down inside you live like God only loves good people. 
Today we're concluding this series, God for the Rest of Us, and uh, that's my title for today. If you would take a moment to write it down in the note card that we gave you as you came, if you came prepared to write notes, the title for my sermon is God for the Rest of Us. Uh, Over the past several weeks, I've preached from titles like God for the Hookers, God for the Doubting, uh, God for the Hurting, uh, God for the, I preached it but I forgot it, Uh, oh God for the Religious, but today I just want to preach from this, God for the Rest of Us. So if you came prepared to write notes, would you go ahead and write that down? If you didn't come prepared to write notes, that's cool. We've been preparing for you. We gave you a note card and a pen. So go ahead and write my title down. This is an all skate, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Even just look like you're writing, okay? I can see you. Um, (laughs) It's like, whatever, man, we're protesting. God for the rest of us. You know, I've really made it my my goal in this series and um, and. I don't know if I've done that great of a job. I've tried my best to get this across to you, that God loves you, that God loves you. Not, not just some mental thing that you assent to and you believe and you say, okay, yeah, God, but I, I want it to be the center of who you are, that God loves you. Do you understand that? That God loves you for who you are and not as you should be, because none of us are as we should be. Now, God loves us so much, he's calling us to be something greater, but God loves you for who you are. And even if you never change, even if you never accept him, even if you never say yes to him, he still loves you. Do you believe that? I've tried to help us understand and just let it be the center of who we are, that God loves you regardless of who you are, where you've been, and what you've done. God has seen your past flaws and your mistakes, and he accepts you, and he loves you, and he calls you his own if you would enter into a relationship with Jesus. Like, this has been my goal throughout this series, is to just let you know and let it get deep down inside you that God loves you. And the reason why I wanted to do that throughout this whole series, to help you know that God is for the rest of us, is because I've met so many people who believe that God isn't for them. Like, I'll talk to people about coming to church, I'll talk to people about entering into a relationship with God, and, and their response is just like, no way, man, I don't do church. Or, or you wouldn't want me coming to your church, or, or I, I don't really know about that. Because what they believe deep down inside is that God is not for them. Because if you just knew me, if you understood who I was, if you, know, if you knew what I did, then you know there's no way that God is for me. Church is not for me. See, they, they have it in their mind that God is for all the good people, that, that, that God is, is for all the people who have it all together, that church is for the people who, who, who smile and, and dress up and, and look the part. Church is for people who are religious. See, for them in their mind, church isn't for people who smoke, drink, cuss, or chew. It's definitely not for those who go with girls who do. Uh, church for them isn't for people who hook up. No way, there's no way I could go to church because church isn't for addicts and pornography watchers and people with bad tempers. Church isn't for people who have had abortions or who have gotten divorced or who go to heavy metal concerts. There's no way that I could come to church because church isn't for me. See, in their mind, they, they just believe that church is for all the good people, all the, all the people who look like Christians, who use Christian language, who open doors for people and smile real big. See, they just believe that's what church is for, but, but I've come to let you know this morning that church is for the rest of us because God is for the rest of us. And this idea that people have that, that church isn't for them or God isn't for them, 
It's so foreign to the message that Jesus brought 2,000 years ago. See, when Jesus came on the scene 2,000 years ago, he brought this message that was countercultural, that was, that was uh, reverse the wisdom of the world. See, if, if the world says that God is for all the good people, and it makes sense, right? It makes sense that God would be for all the good people because God is good, so why wouldn't he be for the good people? It makes sense that God is against those dirty, rotten sinners, but God loves good people. That just makes sense with the way that the world works. But God operates in the opposite. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus brought this message that God is for the rest of us. And people back then understood it, they knew it, because the people who were farthest from God flocked to God. And the people who didn't appreciate his grace, who were offended that God was for the rest of us, were actually repelled by Jesus. But here we are 2,000 years later, and it seems that for many Christians, we just believe that God is for us. God is for the good people, and we look down on those bad people, and people who are far from God just feel rejected by God. But I've come this morning to reclaim the message that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago to remind us that God is for the rest of us. And I want to show you some of the ways that we see this in Jesus' ministry and in his teaching. Um, See, 2,000 years ago, just like Aesop turn this, this fable of this tortoise and this hare on its head. I mean, uh, again, the hare wins every time except for in this one story. He just, he turns the wisdom of the world upside down. In the same way, Jesus takes the conventional wisdom of the world and he, and he flips it right side up. And so I wanna show you through some of Jesus' teaching and some of his actions, just how he operates in the opposite to show us that God is for the rest of us. The, the, the first time is in the sermon that Jesus preaches. It's, it's one of his most famous sermons. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it starts in Matthew chapter five. It goes from Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. And it begins with this list of things called the Beatitudes. Now, uh, a Beatitude is um, this saying that's, that's like, Consider yourself blessed. That, that's really what it means. Consider yourself blessed. Consider it a privilege if. And so an example would be, uh, consider yourself blessed if you have a job that you love. You're blessed. It's a privilege for you to have a job that you love. Consider yourself privileged. Uh, consider yourself blessed if you have kids. Uh, I, I know it might not seem that you're blessed all the time, but consider it blessed that you have kids. So so this is what a beatitude is. And so Jesus starts off this sermon with this list of blessings. Consider yourself blessed and privileged if this is your situation. Now, before I read what Jesus actually said, I want to read a list of beatitudes that I think the world would write. I mean, this is just the way that the world works. This is the way that the world thinks. And I think the world, if they were writing beatitudes, would be this, blessed are the proud, because they become better than everyone else. Blessed are those who put on a stiff upper lip and pretend that they aren't hurting because vulnerability is weakness. Blessed are the aggressive because nice guys finish last. Blessed are those who have low expectations because they'll never be disappointed. Blessed are the merciless for they'll become CEOs. Blessed are the people who only care about morality when it's convenient because they'll have a much easier life. Blessed are the winners because everyone who's not a winner is a loser. Blessed are those who don't take a hard stand for anything because persecution isn't fun or easy. Blessed are the tolerant and politically correct because they're way more open-minded and progressive than those miserable, moralistic Christians. See, I think think if the world were to write uh, a list of Beatitudes, it it would sound a lot like this because this is how the world operates. This is just conventional wisdom. But Jesus comes on the scene and he starts one of his most famous sermons with a list that turns everything right side up. He starts off the Beatitudes this way. 
He says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Now, now I know it doesn't seem that way because when you're at the rope, uh, when you're at the end of your rope, you're desperate. You, you don't feel blessed. You don't feel like it's a privilege. You don't feel like it's an honor to be in that situation. But Jesus says, no, blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Here's why. With less of you, there's more of God in his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what's most dear to you. When I feel like I've lost what's most dear to me, I feel miserable. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're actually blessed. You should be happy. Here's why. Because only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, full of care, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. See, oftentimes we try to get our outside world right. We want to drive this fancy car. We want to live in this big house. Sure, it comes with a bunch of debt and sure, it, it, it has all this stress. But hey, we look like we got it all together. He said, no, no, no. Blessed, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution because the persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. See, Jesus comes onto the scene and he completely upends everything and says, no, 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 this is actually how you should be living because God operates in the opposite. And then there's this one time where Jesus tells a story to this crowd of people to let them know that God is for the rest of us. He says, okay, one day, there's this, this tax collector and a Pharisee. Now, automatically, the tax collector in the story is the bad guy because tax collectors at the time would, would uh, charge more in taxes to the people they were collecting from because they had to pay Rome. Um, so they're working for the enemy. At the time, the people of Israel were occupied by Rome. Tax collectors were often people of Israel who were working for the enemy. And so they're collecting taxes to pay to Rome, but then they'd charge even more so that they could get rich on other people's work. And so tax collectors back then were these thieves. They were, they, were, they were despised. They were looked down upon. So Jesus says, okay, this tax collector and this Pharisee. Now, Pharisee was a religious guy. He was, he was a religious leader. If anybody is close to God, it's got to be the Pharisee because uh, he, has, he, uh, he keeps all the laws. He, he's really close with God. He wants to do all the right things. So Jesus says, okay, this tax collector and a Pharisee, they walk into the Jewish temple. Sounds like the beginning of a bad joke, but he says this tax collector and Pharisee walk into the Jewish temple and the tax collector, he stands before God and he lowers his head and he beats his chest and he said, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. And then he said, the Pharisee stands and he looks at the tax collector and he sees what he does. And then he prays and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I have. He boasts about how awesome he is before God. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. That tax collector went home justified before God and not that Pharisee. See, he flips it on its head. He says, he says, see, you would think that the religious guy would be good with God, but no, 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 no. God justified and forgave that tax collector over the Pharisee. The reason is because God cares way more about our humility than our religious duty. 
What Jesus is trying to teach us here is that God is for the rest of us. There's this other time, Jesus tells a story and he says there's a king who throws this banquet and he invites all these people to come to this banquet, but all the people he invites says, no, I'm not gonna come. So the king uh, essentially responds back to them saying, well, F you then. I mean, not, forget you, right? It's like, forget you then. Um, like, I mean, that's, that's a loose translation of what he says, but he's pretty much like, forget you then. I've invited you to come to my banquet and you don't wanna come, forget you then. And he, and he tells his servants, I want you to go out and invite anybody and everybody to come to the banquet. Go to the country roads, go to the city streets, find the poor, the lame, those who are beggars. Go find anybody and everybody and tell them my house is open, the banquet is ready for them. And what Jesus is telling us here in this story is that God is for the rest of us, that the kingdom of heaven is open to anybody who will come through a relationship with Jesus. He's letting us know it, it's not some country club. It's not some elite thing that you got to get in. And it's not this, well, who's in and who's out? But the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is open to anybody. There's a place at the table for everybody. The reason is because God, God is for the rest of us. There's another time where Jesus takes the conventional wisdom of the world and he, and he flips it right side up. Um, see, Jesus and his disciples, his apprentices, his followers, uh, they're in the Jewish temple and it's time for an offering. And the way that the offering was set up is there were these boxes all around the room and you would go to one of these boxes and you drop your offering in. Now, the custom at the time was when you dropped your offering in, a trumpet would be announced. So you would sound a trumpet. That way everybody looks at you and they're impressed with what you're giving, or at least they know that you're giving. And so you make a big deal about, hey, look at me, I'm giving. And so this was going on. They're there at the Jewish temple. There are these boxes all around and these people are coming up. They're announcing with trumpets and they're, and they're giving in these boxes and they're giving a lot of money. And the scriptures say that uh, people were impressed with what they were giving. And I just imagine that the disciples are there and they're, and they're witnessing this whole thing. And they're like, oh my gosh, did you just see what they gave? They're so generous. Look at how awesome they are. And I imagine they're like tugging on Jesus' robe and they're like, Jesus, look, look at what that guy just gave. He needs to come be one of our people so he can finance this whole mission. Like, Jesus, this is awesome. But Jesus isn't impressed. I just imagine Jesus is sitting there as all these people are giving and making a show of it. And then out of the corner of his eye, he catches this, this woman off in the corner. There's a box all the way in the corner of the room that nobody's at, nobody's by there. And he sees her, this woman, this widow. And being Jesus, he knows exactly what's gonna happen because he's God. And he knows what's about to happen and he knows what she's about to give. So I imagine Jesus gets the attention of his disciples. He's like, guys, shut up, listen, come here, come here, come here. Watch this, watch this, watch this. And they all come and they look at this woman off in the corner. And I could just see this woman as she walks up to the box and she looks around to make sure nobody's looking. She takes two pennies out and drops them into the box. And Jesus is like, yes, yes. Guys, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Did you see what she just did? And imagine the disciples are like, are you serious, Jesus? What are you, she gave two pennies. Like she, she might as well have given nothing. Why are you so excited about that? Why are you so impressed with that? 
Because the way the world works is they're looking at these people who are giving so much and they're like, wow, look at how much they're giving. Jesus looks at this one woman who gives two pennies and he's like about to throw a party over it. The reason is because God isn't impressed with the, the amount that you give when you give. What impresses him is the sacrifice you make. Jesus told his disciples, she gave everything she had. Like, I know it seems like they're giving a lot, but no, no, no. Those two pennies that she just gave, that was everything she had to her name. She gave it all. Jesus was more impressed with the sacrifice, the size of the sacrifice, than the amount that was given. So when we receive an offering here, and when you give an offering, as the buckets come by, you might put a $20 bill, a $50 bill, a $100 bill in there, and you might be impressed. You might be like, man, I'm pretty good. I gave a $100 bill. I mean, it's crisp. It's new. I just got it from the bank this week. Drop. And that might impress you. And that might impress the person next to you if they see that. But it doesn't impress God if it's not a sacrifice. What God looks at is the sacrifice that we give. The world says, man, that's awesome. That's a $100 bill. Look how generous you are. God says, yeah, but that's only like a fraction of what I gave you. See, he looks at the sacrifice. You want to get God's attention? Make a sacrifice. There's this other time where Jesus is nailed to a cross. He's about to give his life for us. He's bearing the weight of the sins on himself. He's bearing the weight of our sin on himself. And there are two people who are crucified on either side of him, two thieves. And uh, one thief realizes the predicament he's in. He's being crucified right next to the Son of God. He's about to die in a few hours. He's not going to be saved. He's given his whole life to crime. He's now paying for what he's done with the death penalty. And he's hanging there on the cross right next to Jesus. And he calls out to Jesus and he says, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And you know what Jesus said to that thief while he was hanging on the cross? Are you kidding me? It's a little late now, isn't it? Maybe you should have changed your ways and did some good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff. You want to be with me in heaven? No way. No, he didn't say that. He says to the thief on the cross next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. But wait, he doesn't deserve it. Exactly. That's what's so great about grace. That's what's so amazing about grace, that Jesus gives this man forgiveness in his last hours, even though he doesn't deserve it. You know why Jesus forgives that man in his last hours, even though he doesn't deserve it? Even though he's hurt people, even though he's stolen from people, even though he's done all this wrong, and he's really making a last minute confession of faith. You know why Jesus forgives him at the last minute? Because God is for the rest of us. God extends his grace, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness to each and every one of us, regardless of who you are, what you've done, and where you've been. God loves you. Do you understand that? Is that a reality for you today? What's so amazing about grace is that we don't deserve it, and God freely gives it to us. You know, I think over and over again, I mean, we just see it in the way that Jesus taught and the way that Jesus talked with people. 
But what's amazing to me and what, what shows this reality that God is for the rest of us, even more than anything else, is how he chose his disciples, how he chose the people who became his closest followers. See, it's recorded for us in Luke chapter six. Here's, here's how Jesus uh, chose his closest followers. Luke chapter six, verse 12. It says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when the morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, when Jesus picked his 12 disciples, by the way, he did pick them. He hand-selected them. He was choosy when choosing his disciples. See, everybody could follow Jesus, but only a few could be on his staff. So he hand-selected who would be his disciples, and the people that he picked probably weren't the best choices. I mean, if you're going to have them lead a worldwide movement to spread the grace and the good news that you've come to bring, these guys probably aren't the best choices. I mean, he chooses some fishermen, some blue-collar workers. There are some guys, we don't even know what they did. He chooses this one guy, Thomas, who, I mean, he was bold and he was great, but there was a time where he doubted in his faith. Uh, he chooses Matthew, who's a tax collector. I've already talked about tax collectors. They were thieves. They were looked down upon. He says, yeah, you can come be one of my disciples. He chooses um, Simon the Zealot, it says. A zealot was a political uh, protester. He was an insurrectionist. He, he, he felt that the Roman government should be taken down. And so, so Simon was probably always talking about the man and how we got to bring the man down and all these conspiracy theories. And then he also chose this guy, Judas. Judas was a thief and ultimately the one who um, turned on Jesus and turned Jesus in. So Jesus chooses these guys to be his followers, but they're not really the best choice when it comes to leading a movement. And I think, I think God knew that. That's why like when Jesus was crucified and resurrected and ascended up into heaven, I think he and God had a conversation and God was like, what were you doing? Like, why were you choosing them? They're not gonna get anything done. They're a bunch of idiots. And then I think God told Jesus, I need you to go back down and get this guy named Paul. Uh, go appear to him and tell him to lead this movement because Paul was organized. Paul actually got things done. So Jesus goes to Paul and then Paul goes on to start churches all over the known world. Paul writes a third of the New Testament. I think God was like, okay, these guys are not the ones to lead this movement. Get that guy, Paul. That's why we have a third of the New Testament. That's why churches were started all over the known world back then because of this guy named Paul. But I think Jesus chose his first 12 disciples not to be the ones to lead this movement in the world. I think the reason why Jesus chose these 12 disciples is to send a greater message, a message that God is for the rest of us. That if he would choose these guys, he would choose us too. I believe Jesus chose his 12 disciples to let you know that God is for you and that he chooses you as well. If you had a chance to interview Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, the tax collector. I wonder, I wonder how that would go. I think, I think if you sat down and you interviewed Matthew and you said, hey, Matthew, tell me about the time 
that you met Jesus. Tell me about the time that he chose you to follow him. What'd you, what'd you think? What went on? I think Matthew would say, man, it was crazy. I was sitting there at my tax collector booth and, and I was robbing from people and I was stealing from people and I was taking more money than what they really owed so that I could get rich. And then Jesus came along and I had heard about Jesus. I mean, Jesus was this religious guy. Some people said he was from God and I just knew, oh man, he's going to call me out. He's probably against me. He probably hates me. Jesus came along. And when Jesus came along, he looked right at me. And I started to sweat. My heart started to beat a little more. My face got red. And I was like, here it comes. He's going to condemn me. He's going to come down on me. But he looked right at me. And he said, Matthew. I was like, me? He said, yeah, you. I was like, for real me? And he said, yeah, you. I want you to come follow me. And I was like, you want me to follow you? And he was like, yeah, I want you to follow me. And I was like, what? For real? And so I dropped everything. I left everything. And I followed him because I expected condemnation. But he gave me grace. He chose me. He chose me. Like, I don't think you understand. Because I, I made my living robbing people. I, I forced people to go into bankruptcy because I collected too much from them. I took people's hard-earned money. I was conniving. I was scheming. If anybody was far from God, it was me. And then that day, Jesus came and he looked at me. He looked at me. Do you understand what I'm He saw me. It's like when he saw me, he saw everything about me. He knew everything I had done wrong. He knew everything I was doing. And even in spite of that, once he saw me, he still chose me. And that was the day everything changed for me. And I believe that if he can choose somebody like me, oh, he could choose anybody. And he has chosen anybody. I think if you were to interview Matthew and you say, hey, Matthew, do you think God just loves good people? He'd be like, no way. Because if God just loved good people, I'd be going to hell. But he chose me. Because God is for the rest of us. Can I just ask you, do you believe that today? You know, I've talked about it throughout this whole series. I've, I've talked about it for the past, I don't know how long I've been up here. But I've talked about it that long. But it doesn't matter how much I say it. It doesn't matter how much I talk about it. The question is, do you really believe it? Is that something that's like internally growing in you that you understand, wow, God loves me. I am loved by God. And it changes everything for you. That's not about what you do. It's not about getting your act straight. It's not about, well, I got to do more good than bad. No, no, no. Like, before any of that, I am loved. You know, it's so easy um, for churches to get comfortable. Uh, it, it, it's so easy for churches to, to become Christian country clubs where we, we uh, get inwardly focused and we say, well, I got my ticket to heaven to hell with the rest of the world. It's easy for, for churches to, to get to a point where they focus on singing and Bible studies and faith, fun, food, and fellowship while we forget our mission, which is to seek and save the lost. It's easy for, for churches to, to get to a point where we just start to think that, that everything is about us and we become so inwardly focused and... Um, while, while we're in here shining our light and feeling good about the love that we've received, there's a whole world that's going to hell. But I am so glad that that is not this church. 
And I want to let you know this morning that as long as I'm the pastor of this church, we will never forget our mission to seek and save the lost. Because when you really understand that God loves you, that he's poured his grace out on you, that God has forgiven you even though you didn't deserve it, when that becomes a reality to you and you never lose sight of it, it compels you to go out and share it with other people. Because you know people who don't know that message. You know people who believe that God is just for the good and not for them. But you have a message that God is for the rest of of us. And as a church, we will never forget our mission, which is to see people raised to true life, to go to people who feel far from God, to let them know God is not far from you, but he's for you, and he's come to bring you to him. That's who we are as a church, and that's why we exist. So it starts, though, with you getting deep inside of you. God loves me, and if God could love me, he could love Phil. You know, Phil that you work with, that Phil who's going out every weekend drinking, trying to see who he, yeah, if God can love me, God can love him. When you get it deep down inside you, God is for the rest of us, even me, then God can love Chloe. You know, Chloe at the office who's always talking about somebody and she always got a problem with somebody and you can't stand talking to her, but you do like hearing what she has to say about somebody because God loves even her. When you get it deep down inside of you, God loves me, oh, so I'm not better than anybody else. God loves the judgment and the condemnation in you is washed away. And now you live with this message of grace and you're like, I am compelled to share it with everyone because people need to know that God is for the rest of us. You know, as a church, we've made it our mission to see people raised to true life, and I just want to introduce you to a few people who have come to discover that God is for the rest of us. The first person I want to introduce you to is Josh. Um, Josh is in the military. He came to our church a couple times, and um, back in June of last year, y'all give it up for Josh. Back in June of last year, Josh, uh, let me get that mic, sent us a message, and I want to have him Read that to you. Here you go. It's, it's ready. It? <clears throat> All right. Hey, guys. I just wanted to let you know I miss you guys like crazy. I'm back on deployment. I know I only came to the church twice, but I talk about how awesome it is to all of my guys. I can't wait to attend again when I am back on the beach. I downloaded all of the podcasts and listened to a couple a week. I feel a lot closer to God and to my family. I'm really thankful for all that you guys do. My family seems much happier since they have returned to church and continued their walk. Thank you for caring for them while I am gone and being a family to them. Also, thanks to Pastor James for the inspiring messages that seem to have a lot of influence even while I'm across the ocean. I can't wait to be back, and we'll see you guys the first Sunday I am home. Love from across the Atlantic, Josh. I'll give it up for Josh. Thank you so much. See, Josh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. See, Josh came just a couple times, and he just realized, oh, wait, this is the church. It's for the rest of us. He got so compelled, he said, I'm going to download the podcast and start listening to what, I, what I've missed. You know, we've been in existence for over three years. I preach a lot of sermons. Um, I want, maybe you go back and you listen to some stuff too. But um, our, our church had such an impact. He just felt so grateful that his family was a part of a place like this, a place for the rest of us. I want to introduce you to Heather. Y'all give it up for Heather. 
Heather, uh, Heather started coming probably about a month ago. And uh, here you go, Heather. On her first Sunday, she sent this message to us via Facebook. And I just want you to hear what, what she had to say. I have a book, so I'm going to send it right here. <laughs> Today was my first time attending The Rising. My friend Amanda texted me Saturday asking if I'd be interested. And honestly, my first thought was, well, that means I have to wake up early. But I agreed to go thinking, sure, I can get up early for one Sunday morning. She'd probably really like it if I went. I was raised in the church, but I spent most of the time yawning, counting minutes, asking my grandpa what time it was, and thinking of where I was going to eat afterward. Let's be honest, I still always think about my next meal or my cup of coffee. <laughs> but long story short, it wasn't the place for me. I got an early impression that church was very strict. Aside from wearing the best clothes, there were certain things I couldn't watch, listen to, people I was told not to hang out with. So slowly I left. I haven't been to church since I was 16, except for an Easter service at ODU years ago. I Facebooked this church last night once I was invited, and I gotta say, I was like an excited child that couldn't sleep on Christmas Eve. I had a feeling it was different. I walked in today and immediately felt that this was the place I was waiting for. All this time, this was the place that was here, doors opened, just waiting for me to stumble in. I felt comfortable instantly. Needless to say, I love the service. I have already made arrangements at work to have off for next Sunday, as well as requested off for most of the Sundays to come. I was captivated. I took so many notes, I couldn't believe how quickly it went by. I had a blast. Seeing as it's only once a week, I've now decided that during the week to keep me satisfied till Sunday, I will listen to or watch past sermons on the site starting from the beginning. I've been watching since I got home. Thank you for being what my heart was looking for all this time. I can't wait till next Sunday. Heather Cernak. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. And I wanted her to share because I wanted you to see, she's just been coming for the past month. She came and she just realized, oh wait, this is a place for the rest of us. And I love the response of uh, going to her work and saying, hey, I need to get off on Sundays. I need to get off on Sundays. I wonder, I wonder maybe for some of you, that's your step. I need to get off on Sundays. I can't come to work, I get called to church. Um, but I love that, priorities, hashtag priorities, hashtag facts. Um, and I love, I love that um, she's, she's just been coming back week after week because she realized that this is a place for the rest of us. I want to introduce you to one more person. His name is Sean. Would y'all give it up for Sean? Yeah. I saw Sean's comment on Instagram um, maybe a week or so ago. I'll give that to him. And... Um, I just thought it was so great. Sean, Sean really is a, a picture of the person that, we're, that we exist for. Um, somebody who never thought that they belonged in church, somebody who thought church wasn't for them. And uh, I want you to hear the comment that he left on Instagram. Check this out. My buddy, uh, Jeremy Allen, asked me for months to check this church out. It's called The Rising, and they meet at the Norva. He said it was unlike any other church. Well, I had seen it made a, made a, make a huge impact in his life, and while I was curious, I still never made it out there. He finally said he would come pick me up and take me so I'd have no excuses. Well, that was a few months ago. I haven't missed a week since. I serve every other week to help set up the church so more people like me can be reached. I am beyond thankful this place found me. And make no mistake, it found me. I didn't find it. I look forward to every Sunday morning and the message Pastor James brings. He is definitely one of a kind. If you want to check this place out, please do. I promise it is unlike any other church experience you've had before. 
Trust me, I wouldn't have thought I'd ever be a church-going person, but now I wouldn't think of missing a Sunday morning. The band is amazing, and so are the people. Let me know if you want to come. Starts every Sunday at 10, and I'd be happy to sit with you. Cool. Gotta give it up for Sean. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. I love that he said, and, and Sean serves in production now. Sean uh, recently got baptized, and his, his wife got baptized here. His teenage daughter got baptized here. But I love that Sean says, I love coming to set up so that people just like me can be found. That's the reason why I do it, to give back to those just like me. Sean found a place where he discovered that God is for the rest of us. I want you to discover that today. My hope as we wrap up today is that you would know that God loves you, that God is for you, that he's not against you. But more than that, you know people who believe that God is against them. You know people who think that church isn't for them, that God isn't for them. You work with them, you sit with them in class, they're your friends, they're your family. Maybe, maybe it's the same person who stares back at you in the mirror. But my hope today is that you would know that God is for you, but that they would know that God is for them. You've discovered a place where we let people know God is for the rest of us. This week, I want to ask you, who are you going to bring next week? Who are you going to bring to sit with you? Who are you going to bring so that you don't come alone? Because you've discovered God is for the rest of us, but they need to discover it now. And it's as simple as having a conversation with them. It's as simple as saying, hey, come and sit with me. As you exit today at all of our black tables, we have invite cards. We'd love for you to grab some of those invite cards, hand them out this week and say, hey, come sit with me. Don't, don't come alone next week because you found a message that changes and transforms people's lives. Hopefully it's transformed yours. So bring somebody next week. Next week is a great week to bring somebody too because we're starting a brand new series called Found People, Find People. And uh, that's exactly what we do. If you've been found, if you've experienced the love and the grace of God, your role now is to find lost people. Now that you've been found, Hopefully you can't help but say something to people and let them know you got to come. So next week is a brand new series. It's always a great time to invite somebody for the first time. Hey, we're starting a brand new series. You got to come check it out. But who are you going to bring next week so they can discover that God is for them? In a moment, we're going to receive communion. Members from our VIP team are going to come and they're going to pass out trays. And in those trays are stacks of cups. I want to invite you to take a stack of cups as the tray passes you by. You can feel free to take communion anytime. Our band is just going to play softly behind you so that um, there's a contemplative moment for you, a moment for you to reflect and pray. Please don't use this moment as a time to talk or text or play Angry Birds, but um, this is a time to really reflect. And I want you to ask the question and answer it for yourself. Do you believe that God loves you? for who you are and not as you should be. Because when that becomes a reality for you, it changes everything. Also during this time of communion, um, we have rocks that have been placed on your seat. And we place these rocks on your seat to remind you of the rock solid truth that God loves you. We're also gonna be passing out Sharpies down the rows and during this time, use that time to write a word down on your rock if you'd like. Um, Maybe it's loved. Maybe it's uh, 
given grace, uh, forgiven, uh, whatever it is, just write, write a word on there that's going to remind you of just how much God loves you. So as we pass the trays, you can feel free to take communion. I mentioned there's stacks of cups. The bottom cup has a piece of bread that reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. The top cup has some juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. Feel free to take communion. And then also when the Sharpie comes by, you can write that word down on your rock. And let these rocks be a reminder to you that God loves you. Let me pray for us and uh, we'll continue. God, thank you so much that you didn't choose the religious elite to be your disciples. You didn't choose the people who had it all together, but you chose tax collectors and political protesters. Thank you, God, that your forgiveness extends even to us. I pray that if there's anyone here today who believes that they have to do good to get on your good side, would you just remind them that you've given them the gift of forgiveness already? That you lavish your love on them already? You pour out your grace. Pray that it becomes a reality for us, that God, you are for the rest of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.